Today's guest is Steve Lilly, co-founder and president of Protocase and Protospace. The awesome thing about this conversation is not only do you get to look behind the curtain of a company that has innovated in a space that wouldn't do small batch orders for manufacturing for very important and necessary things, everyday life that impact all of us. But they did it in what looked like a 20-year overnight success. And what does that mean? Well, as you listen to this conversation, you'll hear repeatedly me saying, that just seems like the logical way things should have been done. And then you find that it wasn't until Steve and his colleagues got involved that things started to become optimized and streamlined in that way. So hence the 20 years overnight success. And I want to invite you as an entrepreneur to listen to this conversation, to build upon that spirit and see where that's going. So without further ado, and without belaboring the point any longer, Steve Lilly of Protocase and Protospace. Okay, Steve, I'm super, super excited to have you on, man. I got to tell you, it's not every day I personally get to talk to somebody dabbling in space and manufacturing. And it's something that I think is not enough of a discussion in tech in modern day today. So... First of all, how are you doing? You feeling good? Doing great. Yeah, I say again, yeah, thanks, thanks, thanks a million for for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Look, uh, why don't we why don't we start off? I think with like going over your background a bit and what you were up to before co-founding Protocase, because I, I know there's an interesting story there, and Protocase is a consequence of what you were going through, if I understand that correctly. So, why don't you give me a little bit of background on that? Yeah, sure. I've just the, the the quick background is so graduated mid eighties uh, mechanical engineer at a university, and I think the relevant part of that is uh, well in university I uh, I worked for a multinational uh, company, uh, got the uh, you know the the pleasure and non pleasure of working on a very very small piece of projects, but uh, you know successful to do that. After graduation, however, I went to work uh, two two companies before Protocase, which were uh, you know small design shops, uh, you know small companies, a uh, handful of engineers. And the interesting thing about that was, uh, in, in particular, in the first company I worked for, uh, as I said, small company. President of the company was involved in the project team, so uh, I really got I really got involved in the project from a from a you know a more of a holistic standpoint. Uh, was was uh, what was involved in uh, in in the development of the proposal, uh, the deployment, the the design, the deployment. Um, got to manage budgets. Uh, did all the things related to to the the project, but even more so in dealing with the uh, the president of the company. I was probably one of the youngest engineers that actually could read a balance sheet and an income statement of a of a company. So really started to get the flavor and the taste of of what it was to be inside a business from from the from the global perspective as opposed to just working on a piece of a project which I did with the uh, with the multinational anyway so a lot of fun uh did that for uh for about 10 to 15 years so over the course of two different companies did some did some great projects had a had a lot of fun um so after um, after I got through that I really started to get that bug about what what I might really want to do for the rest of my life uh, and then I had the great fortune of uh, bumping into a gentleman by the name of Doug Milburn. Uh, Doug is my my co-founder and business partner in uh, in Protocase and Protospace. Now, what's interesting is um, we became friends first, and as a result of that, uh, started to play some sports together. 
and you know the gentleman level of sports it was so it wasn't any too it wasn't too intense a lot of fun but what you do really is it's the conversations that happen after the, the sporting events so we get in the dressing room and while most of the guys are talking about their favorite ball team or their favorite football team or their favorite hockey team he and I started to solve problems. We were talking about problems that we experienced in our lives, in our in our business lives, and what have you. And one of the interesting things that we came to the what we talked about was a, a common area that we both struggle with. And when I was working for one of the uh, one of the companies I worked for before, uh, it was we were doing small small production runs of um, of uh, navigation equipment. And my challenge was to source these enclosures to pack our electronics into. Then I needed to buy like one, five or 10 of these things. And my heavens, it was so difficult to find a company that would be willing to, you know, allow us to even, you know, they wouldn't even bid on these jobs at quantity 10. They didn't want the work at all. And if they did, you know, they were quoting these unreasonable prices and there were these unreasonable lead times. And my conversations with Doug, he'd come out of a PhD at a lab in university. And he was, it was a laser lab in, in university. And he was trying to pack this test equipment into, uh, into an enclosure. And he, he had, had similar issues, right? Similar, similar frustrations and similar angst. So we, um, we took it upon ourselves to think about that a little more and said, ah, what if we could figure out a way that took the headaches out of that process, i.e. did low volume runs, fully custom, turn them around in two to three days and get them in the hands of the, of the customer. If we can do that, then we have a business. And uh, so we came to the conclusion after, you know, probably a couple of weeks or a month for the study in the marketplace, say, you know what, there's a real opportunity here. Uh, we should really go at this one. So we formed a company called Protocase, uh, started not having much of a clue what we were doing. Uh, I think we were initially five people and no customers. And uh, over the course of 20 years, uh, grew that to a company that now sells. I think we have upwards of 20,000 customers internationally, um, the, the majority of in North America. And uh, we boast, I think, about 400 uh, full-time employees in the company. So really, it was a really interesting development. Um, it wasn't without its uh, difficulties along the way. Uh, but one of the things that did emerge to us, and I think the, the whole idea about um, about proto space, um, we recognized that there was a you know a key uh, sector that was emerging in this market in in our customer base, and that was in the areas of uh, aerospace and defense. And if you look at you know the top players in aerospace and defense, we essentially sell to all those guys. And uh, what we recognized though was. There's slight differences between how we were dealing or how we had to deal with those customers versus the masses of the other customers we have under Protocase. So we felt it was important that we created an arm called Protospace, which we did, which essentially serves the needs of those aerospace and defense customers to the level that they need. And uh, yeah, so that's a uh, that's how we got to where we got to. Oh no, I appreciate that context. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, you look at the news like today with. Uh, the the uh, the plane companies, commercial flights, and the deal the the deal that they have with uh, failing parts and this and that, and you start thinking about well, what kind of certification processes are there? And when I was looking over my notes, it was the first time I had ever learned that AS ninety one hundred is a thing. You know, and is this sort of what you were talking about in terms of the specifications and the needs for proto space? 
Yeah, absolutely, exactly. Um, so you know, uh, the, the 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 key the key differentiators between uh, the aerospace and defense world and our and our standard customers is really comes down to that certification and the documentation that you have to provide at the end of the day. So yes, AS ninety one hundred, that's the quality standard, the highest quality standard that you must have in order to sell into the aerospace and defense world. So we obviously are an AS ninety one hundred certified company. There are other elements too, uh, you know, data security, protection of intellectual property. Uh, those things come into play. We have what's called the International Traffics and Arms Regulations, which we have to, uh, especially for our military-based customers and our government customers, we have to be able to. Be, we're, we're certified to those standards. Um, and then the big one is this, the inspection criteria that that comes with aerospace and defense. So. Whereas we have a, a certain level of inspection standard for a product coming off of the line at the end for our standard customers, there's a whole higher level of inspection criteria and documentation that's required to go behind that. Um, so those are all those are like the, the key differentiators behind our, our aerospace and defense customers versus our, our standard. But there's probably one other one that that sits in there, which is it's it's key to everybody, but it's especially key to these these aerospace customers because typically when you when when we're working on projects with these guys, they're they're multi-million dollar projects. These are big projects and there's a lot on the line. So meeting delivery deadlines and meeting quality requirements is much more critical in terms of if you get it wrong. It's really costly. Um, so, so the whole idea of what this term that I think we're going to talk about throughout the conversation is mass custom, and mass custom is a really interesting phenomena, and uh, and it allows us to meet those stringent requirements in terms of delivery delivery times with our uh, with our aerospace and defense customers. So what's mass custom? It's, it's essentially bringing together, marrying the world of, you know, the ideals of mass production. And we think of mass production, we think of an assembly line where they're running cars off and they're they're just spitting them out one after another, one after another, done very effectively, very efficiently, and very repetitively. Um, and then there's the whole other world where we play, which is called the custom world or the craft world, where, you know, you think about, um, think about a, uh, uh, you know, a custom part that's being made like a sheet metal part like we do. And in the, in the traditional craft world, what you do, you, you'd cut a, a, a blank of metal out and you'd give it to what I'll call a craftsperson, a crafts uh, trained individual at a, at, a, at a press break. And what they'll do is you'll throw a drawing at them, you throw the piece of metal at them, you'll probably actually cut two or three pieces of metal because you'll probably get it wrong the first or second time. And then you give him the drawing and he has to take that drawing and he has to say, okay, I got to figure out, let's see, the bend sequence. I got to make sure I got that right. I've got to make sure I got the right tooling to meet the bend uh, radii requirements. And there's all kinds of things that he has to think about before he can actually start, start you know, bending that, uh, that part out. But if you really think about it, there's a lot of things that we call work elements, which were repeatable functions that happen every time on every job that goes to a press break. And if you can sit there and you can identify those and you can build your, your procedures and your training documents around those, then all you have to really worry about is the craft piece or those parameters that you're going to bring in that are custom by nature. For instance, really quickly, um, powder coating. It's the way we paint our, our metal parts. Well, when you think of a of a powder coat and a spray onto a to a, a bracket or a part, it it doesn't matter what the part is. 
it, it doesn't matter at all. It's the same procedure to get that thing painted. The only difference is from one to the next is the color you paint it. So the only custom parameter that you have to feed to that is the color. The rest of it can be trained out and through a very repetitive process. That's mass custom in, in, in essence. And by, by building that in and building the efficiencies and effectiveness around mass custom, you can take what are traditional delivery times of weeks or months, and you can bring them down to days. And that's what we've done. And that's how you know we can speak to uh, the real efficiencies and the savings of time and cost to our, to our customers. You know, when you put it like that, it almost begs the question, why wasn't it done this way before always? Because you make it sound so logical and straightforward. Like, yeah, <laughs> you, just, you just customize literally what is necessary, right? But no one ever took the time, I suppose. I mean, we're talking, if you think about even with Protocase, what you had done, where there was a gap in the market for that. And it's really interesting that juxtaposition of being able to do small batch orders and then you have a whole other entity for those large. And it's necessary because, I mean, we're talking, these are like, these are big names you probably can't even name that are involved in what's going on. And, and yet here you are on both sides of the market, having come from where you started when you were telling me about your background to now and just like getting that layout it's looking to it's looking to be a very promising venture as we know the next frontier has always been space right and you're and you're you're working in that area so i imagine you're only going to grow as a company which is super exciting to know and the fact that you've taken the time to optimize for this process for those kinds of orders i mean as an engineer right i i expect that awesomeness from someone who's yeah. in this space in that way. So yeah. what I'd love to know though, is when you're working in that capacity and you're talking about speed and safety, right? Like as you see in the news, we've got Boeing having issues managing that dance. What does that look like for, for, for your company with proto case and proto space? And how are you always ensuring that things are right? Is it just because you know all the processes that are pretty standard and they've, they've already fallen under that way? How do you keep it fresh for things that can become monotonous in that way? Well, Look, I, and I and I think we're we're never you know we're not beyond being fallible, uh, you know, uh, as as we've seen you know recently with, with with some incidents. So it's about doing your best to mitigate those risks, right? And mitigate the the the, the uh, possibility of of failure or what have you. Um, so, but you do that by by you know imposing those constraints and and putting those uh, those tools in place that best that best. Uh, get you to what you believe will be the 100% positive result. Look, I, I find it really interesting, and I and I and I the, the the speed versus safety dilemma. I find a really really interesting dilemma because what you think, uh, you know, if you think about speed, you sit there and say you don't want to go into a design uh, program too fast because you risk making a mistake and therefore you risk safety in your product. At the end of the day, I propose kind of the opposite of that and i propose that if you use the tools that we've been able to build into the system by by being fast you allow your engineer your your customer first of all to be very iterative in terms of the the design cycle so where they normally would not take a chance they couldn't get it wrong because they had to wait 14 weeks well in this case because we could turn a part around in two to three days well, they can say, well, look, this might work. I want to test it. So I'm going to go order it. I'm going to get it in two to three days. I can test it. I can test the crap out of it. And if it doesn't work, 
well, I'm just going to make a couple of tweaks and pivot a bit, uh, set it off again, get another prototype built and test it again. So in, in this world, being fast and being speedy actually increases your likelihood of a successful outcome at the end, therefore better chance of optimum safety. And like I say, I love, I love the frame up of how that looks, but that's, uh, that, that's how I think uh, we're helping like, like companies like Boeing, you know, solve some of these issues. And, you know, you look at that, you said that um, the, the, the commercial aircraft travel world, my heavens, it's one of the safest, safest, it, it's one, it's probably the safest mode of transportation in the world. Right. And it's done because traditionally, and, you know, Boeing is one of the best at them too. I mean, you got to give, you got to give kudos to all of these companies because there are thousands of planes that are flying in the air at any given time and any given day. And, and they're not, they're not coming out of the sky. They're very, <laughs> very reliable. And, and what I think is really interesting about companies like Boeing, they've adopted, they've adopted the ideals of mass custom, like, you know, for our ability to, to, to serve them in, in what they do. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's really interesting that they've, they've done that and they are staying on the, on the edge because of that, which is, which is a real positive, like, like our, all of our other aerospace and defense customers that we, uh, that we sell to. Yeah, you know, the the more and more I think about this industry and the things that you're doing, it just makes sense to me. I remember trying to even just get a a sample of something done and someone saying, well, it's going to cost, it's going to be very expensive. It's gonna be, it really is a thing in the industry where it's it's interesting that a lot of the things you do make complete logical sense. As I hear you break it down, and maybe it's because you did all the thinking for us, right? Then you see the way the industry operates in other spaces and how many of them are still doing the things that you have proven are inefficient and they still do it that way because that's the way it's always been done. And that statement is the scariest statement in a world of technology, right? It's the way it's always been done. And so it's really awesome to hear the spirit, the DNA of the company that you're running and your team, the philosophy that you all operate under and the values that you operate under to really carry that spirit. Because now it sounds like mass custom isn't just like for production. It's also the way I imagine you look at optimizing your hiring process and everything in that nature, right? Is it a spirit that sort of pervades all of your operation? Well, it it, it absolutely is. There's absolutely no question about it. Um, You know, so, you know, it's that and, and it's, yeah, I, I look at you know sort of our ability to bring in um, uh, leaders, uh, you know, leaders into the company, and uh, so we're uh, you know there's always been the traditional notion of bringing in outside you outside expertise and you and you bring them in, right? What we do is we bring in folks um, that that come in and we we base them on attitude and aptitude. We immerse them into the culture and the company and the values of the company. They they learn and live by the ideals of mass custom and uh, and you know all the things that and you know mass custom like you said it applies right across the board right absolutely across the board in everything we do and and in doing so. We can take individuals that have, you know, say they indoctrinated, but no, they just they just buy into our culture, our values, and what have you. And we can take those those folks and we can turn them into our leaders inside the company. They can promote inside as leaders because it's way easier once you have someone who who believes and lives by your culture and your values. It's way easier to take them and and through leadership training and what have you, turn them into leaders inside the organization and try to do the opposite, which is bring them in from outside which is the standard practice more often than not. So it is exciting because I, I don't see why you wouldn't want to enhance your talent from inside. 
makes perfect yeah. sense. No, this is this is awesome. Again, it's it never ceases to amaze me how often people who are doing things and excelling at them make it look like that's the way it should have been done the entire time. And I'm excited to see what you're going to do. I mean, we've got like AI and, and, and large language models, machine learning coming into the, into all spaces in all verticals. What does that look like in, in your vertical? So, so it's part, and I, and I have to go back just a little bit to say like, this wasn't easy, right? This, this <laughs> no, I know. Easy to do this. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and, you know, you kind of ask the question, why, like, why, why are so many others not doing it? And they, it, 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 it was, I was told by, he used to head, uh, I think he headed up our sales department one time and he congratulated me, I think, on uh, on one of the social media platforms saying, congratulations on your 20-year overnight success. And I thought that was really <laughs> telltale, right? But but to your question about machine learning, look, we've been incorporating those types of things in AI, you know, before they were the buzzwords, right? So, you wow. know, in terms of understanding how you can you can figure out the, repetitive functions inside various pieces of equipment, right? Well, you can you can kind of reverse train uh, so that you can take that information and it helps you develop your training programs and your procedures way more effectively than you could otherwise. AI, that's a real interesting beast in itself because it, it's, it's the talk of the town these days, right? And you have to be very careful when you're talking about the talk of the town. But we do see AI having having a place to play for us you know, for instance, uh, our engineering design services group. Now, these are a large group in the company that that when we have customers who have uh, very specific designs, they're not using our protocase designer software. They're using their own whatever it may be or hand sketches. So these these folks will work with the customers on their on their on their designs. And one of the things that that AI can bring to the table uh, is the ability to do certain types of recognition on drawings or sketches or whatever they may be. And, and in doing so, you eliminate, uh, you know, possibilities for error and you do improve the overall efficiencies in terms of transposing an idea into a, a set of work instructions that can go to the floor. So definitely areas that we're looking at where AI and, and machine learning will, can be or is being incorporated. Um, but then th there's the other piece too. You have to strike a balance there as well, right? Because we are we are ultimately about customer service. We absolutely are. We live and breathe that. And part of that is interactions with humans or between humans. And we can't lose sight of the importance of that. So you can go too far with it too, right? And we have to be cognizant of that and, and make sure that there still is that we're seeing a happy face at the end of the day on each and every one of our of our customers, uh, you know, basis. I love that philosophy specifically because the one thing I have heard that remains true is they say, if a machine can do it, eventually a machine will, right? But there's a lot that happens in business, no matter the vertical, where the human touch really makes the difference. Because at the end of the day, the businesses exist to promote the welfare of all humans in, in, in our industry, right? Just industriousness as a, as a species. And I'm super excited to hear that from someone working at the cutting edge of like what's happening with with uh, not only leveraging and finding ways to leverage and limit the integration wherever it is possible because it makes more sense to have the human touch to it, uh, like AI and things of that nature. But to know that this is what Protospace is doing and Protocase is also the very same thing, then it makes me ask like, are 
does this kind of industry have trends? Like, you know, we're talking about defense and aerospace. Are there trends in an industry like that? And if so, what are some exciting ones? Because I imagine it, it's probably pretty clear, cut and dry, but there might actually be trends in news. And I'm only saying this because I'm ignorant of that space, you know? Yeah, well, I certainly think that, uh, you know, we have to be constantly watching what's happening in the area of AI. I mean, because it is that it is that that, that buzzword these days. Uh, but there's also interesting things that are happening in in robotics and automation, and and we just we we try to keep on top of those things. I th I think the other thing that's that's really interesting though is because we're so we're so broad based in terms of our our customer base, so we touch all kinds of different elements of various technologies and various tech sectors. That and even if it's just just from an interest standpoint. Um, we like to try to keep abreast of what's really in the emerging technologies. Like, for instance, the, the whole world of, uh, of you know, uh, electric storage, right? I mean, you've got this yeah. whole industry emerging with electric aircraft. And you can imagine, you know, the concerns about weight and and when it comes to, to, to batteries and storage and what have you. So we're watching things like that really carefully because for us, it's important to understand what industries are showing the growth in terms of product development, things like that. So we know where to target and where to go. So we keep an eye on that, those types of things on, on an ongoing basis, not to mention it, it's interesting too. It's, it's fun to watch. You, you get old pretty quick. If you don't, uh, if you don't stay up on those things. You know, it, it makes me realize that your, your way of managing projects is probably so efficient. There are so many project like management software is out there that, you know, claim to, to remove the amount of time it takes from uh, initial idea to, to realizing an idea and, and getting a result out of it. I can imagine your process and your software is super fascinating. You had mentioned sort of in passing earlier, uh, some people may go for, you know, sketching instead of using the software. Uh, and that's that. It makes sense that you would then okay. Well, let's find where AI can sort of streamline that and bring that into our to, into our process. Exactly. It's great to yeah. know that you've accounted for that. That way, there's even less friction for those who would create friction in an efficient system simply by not using it. Which, when I think about that, like yeah, that makes perfect sense. So with that said, man, look, it, it's it's clear. Like you said, it wasn't. It was a 20 year overnight success, <laughs> right? And if there's anything I've learned from interviewing people who are entrepreneurs is that they always make the, the, the reality that they're living look like it was the logical answer the entire time. Right. Mm. But I know that it wasn't. And in those moments when you were dealing with those frustrations back way back, if you can put yourself back there again, what were some of the things that kept you wanting to solve the problem? Was it that you were engaged in sports and, you know, uh, communicating out loud with, with, with your colleagues and trying to figure things out? Was that what you leaned on during those times? Because I, I want to know if you can leave behind for entrepreneurs and founders something that might help them, especially during those times when you were about to launch and solve that problem. That's a great question. That's really interesting. Um, because, uh, you know, failure is a terrible thing, but it's a great thing at the same time. So, um, look, I, I think the way, part of the reason we got it right was really early on, we really did engage um, like-minded folks in conversations about the opportunity. And, you know, if we could succeed, what would it mean in terms of their lives? So it wasn't just me and Doug having a conversation saying, oh yeah, 
I lived that problem. I, I, that was, that existed. We talked to lots of other folks. There was other folks in the dressing room that we ultimately talked to other folks who were engineers. It happened to be an engineering group that we were, we were involved with at the time. Um, so yeah, so we absolutely engaged in those conversations. Um, and I think one of the, one of the important things though, too, when, when you, when you look forward from an entrepreneurial standpoint is, um, and I, and I mentioned this whole thing about, about failure, like, you know, Failure can take you down and you can never get back up again, but failure can also be an opportunity for you to learn extremely well from something and you can, you can you know, pick yourself up and dust yourself off. And I think one of the really important things is you, as you can move forward, as we move, move forward through this, is to understand we played to our strengths, but we also understood our weaknesses and, and we actually hire to our weaknesses um, or, or you develop, you know, inside your weaknesses because I've watched too many entrepreneurs and I literally, I've seen, entrepreneurs who failed, failed because they either just kept it on their own plate way too long or didn't recognize that they needed to, they didn't have a, uh, a skill set that they needed to bring in from outside. So I think it's really important that if you, if you don't recognize those strengths and you don't engage in conversations about not just the opportunity, but about, about business models and all the rest of that stuff, uh, you're you're fighting a tough battle at that point in time, but there's no no question that we had great engagement with with like-minded people early on, and I think that helped solidify our belief that this was going to be successful. I really appreciate that. You know, um, it means a lot to me that you went in into your bag, as the kids say these days, and dug out some wisdom for for everyone. One thing I'm curious about before we begin to close things out and roll out the red carpet, letting people know where to connect with you, I would love to hear your thoughts on the idea of like actual manufacturing, right? There, there's a lot of conversation on social media talking about how much talent is concentrated in software. And there's a place in, there's a place for it, right? There seems to be not enough of, those, of that talent in, uh, investing in manufacturing and creating actual physical, tangible things. Is this accurate in your view, given your experience in this industry? And do you have any words on that, that you know, for entrepreneurs that are listening, maybe to get involved and, and, and to help continue to make this industry far more expansive and profound? Well, it's 100% accurate. There's, there's no question. And I, I guess the... the the, the take that I'd have on that is, yeah, we're, we're throwing so many kids into, and myself, I did the same thing. You go into university, you come up with a degree and, and you're all set to do something, right? Well, we've lost touch of, of trades these days and we're not encouraging kids to understand that there are a lot of opportunities inside. And now we're not a trade related organization. Uh, in fact, because of our because of our model and what we do, uh, we'll, we'll bring kids in with very little, you know, trade or training experience and we can develop and all, all we're looking for is attitude and aptitude. But we seem to have lost touch with that part of the world, the trade part of the world. And 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 there's so many people going into universities and what have you and 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 coming out and and not having any grasp of you know, what's important. And, uh, you know, and when you look at it from a manufacturing standpoint, my God, we still need to be able to put, you know, it's, it is interesting. When you look at protocase, um, you know, there's so much that happens through the process, but there is, there's a, there's a hard tangible product that's going out the door on the FedEx truck, lots of them every single day, right? And it takes some hands to make that happen. And 
And I think we've lost sight of that. I just, you know, the world, as you said, the world of software, everybody's going into the world of software, but, uh, you know, there's only so many, uh, well, I got to be careful what I say on that one. No, I, I was going to say, you know, <laughs> robotics may, you know, the day it fuses with AI and machine learning. I mean, that's why I was curious though, with someone with your background, just knowing that you have that view because yeah, you know, I was working with a construction client for a while, you know, as a marketer. And I remember hearing that there are also people aging out who can actually even use the machines, right? So when I look at these industries that are being ignored, even though they're doing very important and very incredible things, I have to ask those in the know, like yourself, who have not only innovated in the space and are and have their pulse, have their, have their finger on the pulse of this space, but just it, it's always curious to learn because you're right. While we're watching these innovations take place, we're also very hyper aware of the way so talent is being concentrated. Yeah, from our perspective, what 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 all the technology does for us is it provides the tools to allow us to put a product in the box that goes out in the truck and the plane at the end of the day. So it's it's very critical, but it's a tool. They're they're a bunch of tools like Protocase Designer. We've spent years developing this beautiful software package that enables a designer to go in, design a, a box and a closure, a bracket, whatever, in minutes. And, and built into that is all of our manufacturing constraints that would be imposed on, um, you know, whether one of our engineering design services people were doing it, but it automatically imposes those manufacturing constraints. So whatever you can design inside designer, we can make. It's 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 predetermined. We can make it. So it goes right out onto the floor for, for, for manufacturers. So, but all those things again are tools to an end, right? They're absolute tools to an end. And at the end of the day, we gotta be making a part that's gotta be tested and it's gonna go on a plane or it's gonna go on this or that. And it and it's physical and it's real and we've we've got to get it right. That was probably my favorite part of our conversation was you breaking down the idea of the iterative process and how important that is to ultimately allowing you more time to get safety right. Almost like uh, the lesson is failure, but failure with conditions and fast and repeatedly until you can't fail ever again, right? With that piece. And for me, that was just the awesome reminder at, at, the, at the spirit of everything, the nucleus of like, that's really the goal. And this entire company is driven through that philosophy of getting until you can't get it wrong and it's a perfect fit and continue to innovate even from there. For me, I mean, what's not to like about something like that? So with that said, I want to roll out the red carpet for you, man. Uh, where where do you, Steve, where do you want people to go? Is it a social channel or is that something your company's focused on or is the initiative more on the website or is there anywhere you want them to follow up and check out, check in with you like LinkedIn or something? Yeah, so so we're everywhere. You know, we've got our proto space and, and proto case uh, websites. We're on LinkedIn. We're on all various forms of social media. And encourage encourage you to look us up in any of those places. Um, the other thing too is we do a we we do a weekly tech tip. Uh, we do videos, weekly videos that come out, and they're usually pretty interesting stuff. I mean, if you're in the world of electronics the development and you and you do source, uh, you know, brackets, metal fixtures, what have you. Uh, some of the stuff is pretty interesting that comes out there. So yeah, lots of places where you can see us and learn about us for sure. Well, thank you so much for your time. I can't wait for people to just learn from this and move forward with this and hopefully reinvigorate some of that spirit that's needed in these verticals as well. Great. Thanks so much for your time too. I really, really enjoyed it.